We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Turn very quickly to the book of John, chapter 12, John 12. I'm going to read a a few scriptures today. I'm going to read one, and then I'll let you be seated, and then I'll read some more afterwards. And um, again, I want to reiterate, we got a lot going on, so if you're newer and you need to get connected to what we're, what's going on, what's happening, we got a lot happening. Ladies are doing a lot of things. The men are doing a lot of things. We got softball starting in May, um, and so we want to sign up for that if you want to get connected to that as well. Um, and so we we have a softball beginning as well. Uh, so uh, be looking for that. We'll have th- that registration should be up this week, and we'll put an announcement out about that about that registration when it goes live. Um, so there's a lot going on. So if you need to get connected, stop by the front desk again. Give us your name, your phone number. And we'll add you to our call system and get you all the information you need. And if you don't have it, you can go to our church center. Go to church center app. Just look up church center. When you open it up, you'll see Truth Chapel in there. Click on Truth Chapel as your home church. And then you have our app, which has all the calendar events, everything on it. And a lot of those events, if you see those events in the calendar, you can actually touch those events and they'll open up a registration or they'll open up details about the event, what's happening, or what's going on. Amen. Book of John, chapter 12, and beginning in verse 12. And, and what an honor today to have Alina with us. Alina, she, she led worship. She's singing on that last song. And this is, uh, if, a, a lot of you have already met her, but this is Gideon's friend. And uh, so I'm embarrassing him a little bit today. But thank you for helping us today. Amazing job leading in worship. John 12, 12. John 12, 12. The Bible says this, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen. This is where we get our Palm Sunday concept from. From Sunday to Sunday, this will be a week of Jesus' life. And, but I want you to turn very quickly to the book of Luke 19. book of Luke 19 and I'm going to begin in verse 38 Luke 19 and 38 and we're going to kind of come right back into the story from Luke's perspective because I want to read for you here something that happens in the book of Luke that Luke writes down saying blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude came to him and said master rebuke thy disciples And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Watch verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. This is interesting to me. And today I want to preach to you just for a moment on this subject. Weeping after the worship. 
weeping after the worship. Would you pray with me today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your power and your glory that's in this room. We have worshiped you today, lifted our voices, and even tried our best in our feeble attempt to raise up palm branches as a representation of what they did on that day so many, many years ago. And Lord, I pray that you would just rest in this house today. You'll rest upon us and let your word do its work. And we'll be so careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And someone said amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Weeping after the worship. Man. Um, a lot of times on a service like today, I'm coming to you with a word that um, I either have preached before or at least have some kind of familiarity with. Um, but today uh, and this week, uh, I took a little extra time with the word of God because I wanted to bring a word um, that would not only inspire us, but it would convict us. And it would turn our attention to, to Jesus over this next week. The book of Luke specifically for the first 19 chapters, the first 19 chapters covers pretty much Jesus' life. A lot of those are just the, the three and a half years of his ministry, the first 19 chapters of the book of Luke. Until the 19th chapter to the end of Luke, it just covers one week of his life. This holy week that we are settled upon now. And so there's a lot crammed into a lot of chapters, and then there is a lot laid out in detail after that about this last week of his life. Jesus is culminating the end of his ministry. Only a few people know that Jesus is contemplating or telling them that the end is near and the end is nigh. Not, not a lot of people know that. Um, but Jesus knows that this is the end. And he has been on a journey to get to Jerusalem. This has been his entire journey process. I need to get to Jerusalem. And so he's making his way to Jerusalem and he's stopping along the way in villages and cities and what we would call today suburbs of Jerusalem and the outlying cities of Jerusalem and he is making his way. This is where we see Jesus stop by the wayside and say, hey, listen, I need to go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. You guys can take a direct route if you want to, but I need to go through Samaria because there's something I need to do there. And he meets the woman at the well. He's kind of in reverse from the Great Commission. The Great Commission will be first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then the other parts of the earth. But God, uh, his, his son Jesus is in this moment and he's giving, he's showing us a reverse pattern as he's coming out from Jerusalem and he's about to end in Jerusalem. And this is where the culmination of the entire thing is about to happen. And in this moment, Jesus tells two of his disciples, he said, I want you to go, he, he, he's in uh, uh Bethsaida, Bethpage, and a suburb of Jerusalem just outside the city. And he says, I need you to go and I need you to find me a donkey. 
and, and he's going to be tied up. And I want you to loose him and tell the owner when you loose him, the master has need of him. And bring that donkey to me. And the Bible says that they did that. And when they brought the donkey to him, he got on the donkey and he rides the donkey into Jerusalem. What an unbelievable sight. Not, not a war horse, not a stallion, uh, not a Tennessee walker, not a, not a pony, not a paint. It's just a donkey. Not a mule, because a mule is a donkey and a horse that made a baby. But just a regular old donkey. Uh, you, don't, you don't really saddle up a donkey and ride it. Uh, a donkey has to be led. And, and, and Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, uh, not because that's the only option that he had. If he wanted to, he could have rode a camel. If he wanted to, he could have rode an elephant. If he wanted to, he could have had a white stallion, and we'll see him again riding that white stallion, but it'll be in Revelation, and he won't be happy. But he'll be coming to wage war on the enemy. But today he's bringing peace, Palm Sunday. He rides into that town, and when he does, the Bible tells us that they take off their clothes, they take off their vestures, their outer garments, and they lay them on the road. They basically make for, for him a, a red carpet, so to speak. They lay out these clothes on the ground so that Jesus can ride on top of them. They lay out palm branches, and they take palm branches, and they wave them. And here's what they say. They say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna meaning to save us. Nah, meaning now. That's what Hosanna means. Hosanna is not necessarily a word of praise. It's used in this moment as worship, but they are quoting Psalms 118, and they're quoting, quoting Psalms 118, verses 24 and 26. Here's what they say. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Anybody familiar with that verse? That's Psalms 118. Watch the next one. Save now, or Hosanna. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. The, they, are not just, they are not just saying a random word. They are quoting scripture, and they are singing the psalms. This is a psalm. It is a song. They are singing, save us now. Save us now. Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They understand this moment and they're worshiping him and the religious folk come by and say, hey, Jesus, rebuke them. This is not right. They shouldn't be worshiping you like this. They shouldn't be saying these things to the religious people. This was a blasphemous moment because they did not see Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the messianic promise that would be coming. And so they told him, listen, if you really love these people, rebuke them because they're committing heresy. And he said, I tell you this, if these people were to shut their mouth right now, the very rocks would begin to cry out to me. What a beautiful moment of worship. What a beautiful moment of praise. 
What a beautiful moment of culmination. People shouting unto him, calling out his name. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But they don't say blessed is he. They say blessed is the king. The king is here. They say blessed be the king who cometh in the name of the Lord. They are worshiping. They are shouting. They are lifting their voice in such a manner that it would cause other people to say, hey, we need to calm these people down. They are riotous. It wasn't just a normal worship service. It was kind of like one of those Sundays we had last Sunday where it got a little crazy there for a little while. And we was running around here acting like a fool. It was one of those moments. People were losing their mind. It wasn't a... It wasn't one of those things, no. It was an uncontrollable, Hosanna, blessed be the king. Hosanna, blessed be the king. They were shouting, they were lifting their voices, they were praising God. What beautiful worship. And Jesus, at the end of the worship, looks over Jerusalem and begins to weep. This isn't the first time that we've seen Jesus weep in the New Testament. We saw him weep once, once before. We saw him weep when he came to Lazarus' home. Lazarus was dead. And his sister said, Jesus, if you'd have just been here on time, you could have saved our brother. And the Bible says, it's the shortest scripture in your Bible, Jesus wept. That's it. You ever hear the story about the, the mother whose two sons got in trouble and she told him, she said, in the morning, if you two rascals don't have a Bible verse memorized, I'm going to beat the brakes off both of you. So early in the morning, they came down for breakfast to go to school. And the, she said to the one boy, did you memorize, do, do you have a verse memorized? He said, yes, ma'am. He said, she said, what is it? He said, Jesus wept. <laughs> and in her disgust, she realized that's actually a verse. I want to beat him, but I can't beat him. He ain't lying. So she looks at the boy and she said, what about yours? And he said, he sure did. The, the shortest verse in the Bible, if Bible quizzing was just that right there, oh, old little brother Sammy Higginbotham, he can quote whole chapters, whole, almost whole books right now. But, 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 but most of y'all, that's the only verse y'all know, Jesus wept. Then Peter said unto them, here is where the Lord our God is one Lord, Jesus wept. But the word there used for weep is a word, and that word is called decruo. It means this, it means to shed a tear. It means that Jesus actually cried. He, he, a tear came out. But in this next verse, where Jesus wept over Jerusalem, it's not the word decruo. It is the word konoi, which means to sob uncontrollably. This was not about a friend that passed away. He weeps. He doesn't just weep. Listen, imagine this moment. All of these people worshiping him, calling out his name, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're waving palm branches. They've taken off their clothes and let him ride a donkey over top of it. This is not a normal moment, y'all. This is beyond everything. It's, it's so far stretched that the religious people are telling Jesus, make them stop. They are committing heresy. This is out of control. This is uncontrollable. We got to make this stop. But they're worshiping him with no reserve. They're crying out to him with no reserve. What beautiful worship. And after the worship, Jesus sobs uncontrollably. He weeps. Why? 
Here's what he said when he wept in Luke 19, verse 42. He said, if thou hadst known, he's speaking to Jerusalem. He says, oh, if you had known, at least in thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come unto thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench around thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What do you mean, Jesus? We just worshiped. We didn't worship anybody but you. We were calling out your name. We were lifting up your name. What do you mean we didn't know? Jesus understood that this worship that he had just received was not true. This is what Jesus said on his way to Jerusalem. On a visit to Samaria, the hour cometh and is now where the true worshiper will worship not just in spirit, not just in the hype, not just in the riot, but they will also worship him in truth, in knowledge, in wisdom. It's not a worship of emotion. It's a worship of intelligence. Oh, hear me today. It's not a worship of a moment, not what I feel. It's not an emotional thing. No, no, no. It's not about what I feel. It's about what I know. Because in one week, in just a few days, the political current is about to turn. And the same people who cry, Hosanna, will cry, give us Barabbas. Because they are worshiping in a moment of emotion, but they have no knowledge of who he truly is. If they really knew who he was. I know what you said with your mouth, but what do you say with your heart? Oh, come on, somebody. The reason that Jesus is weeping after the worship is because the worship was an emotional thing, but it wasn't knowledge. They didn't know. They didn't know who he was. If they knew who I was, they would tear Rome to the ground. If they knew who I was, they would make the Sadducees and the Pharisees go back home, but they don't understand because their worship can be turned by politics in five days. Just five days. This isn't real worship. Oh, hallelujah. God forbid that we come to the house of the Lord and we worship off emotion and we worship off a regular, just, just tradition and, and, and we worship out of some kind of, we have to. But thanks be to God that we worship because we know. And you can take you can take my home, but I'm going to worship. And you can take my children, but I'm going to worship. And you can take my joy, but I'm going to worship. Because my worship is not about what I feel. My worship is about what I know. My worship is not about Republican or Democrat or the White House or whoever. My worship is Jesus. And I know my Redeemer liveth. Listen, listen, be seated just for a moment. They knew, 
They knew they had the word. Don't let the word pass you by. Don't get caught up in emotion and let the word pass you by. Do not be an over-spiritualized church that is over-spiritualized and undereducated. This is not about what we feel. This is about what we know because feelings will change. People will give up on you. The job will end. The money will stop. People will walk away. But God is ever and he never changes. I'm standing here today on the word of God. I'm not standing here on emotion. I'm not here because of my denomination. I'm not here because of my religion. I'm here because I know who Jesus is. Let me tell you what makes Jesus weep. It makes him weep when good people come to church and worship, but they never find out who he really is. He wants more than your worship. Be seated, be seated. They knew. They knew. 600 B.C. Follow me for just a moment. I don't have time to go into all this, but just follow me for just a moment. 600 B.C., around 600 B.C., Daniel, Daniel tells them. Daniel tells them. He says, 483 years after the decree that Jerusalem should be rebuilt, 483 years to the year, Messiah will come. They, they had the information. The, listen, and we know they knew the word. How do you know they knew the word, Pastor? Because they quoted Psalms 118. It wasn't a wordless generation. They could quote the scripture, but they weren't, they didn't know them. Oh, hallelujah. They could quote the scripture, but it wasn't in them. But in Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 9, he told them 483 years after the declaration of the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the Messiah will come. And so we know in Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, which is around 445 B.C., almost 200 years, or a little over 200 years after Daniel prophesied, this, this, this godless leader, Artaxerxes, tells Nehemiah, I decree that the walls will be rebuilt. Nehemiah leaves. He's a cupbearer for Artaxerxes. He's, he's just a servant. And that servant leaves and goes to Jerusalem and builds the walls. From the time that Artaxerxes says, here is the decree. They have this. They have Daniel. They have Nehemiah. Just like they have Psalms. They have it. They have the word in front of them. If you go 483 years by the Jewish calendar, not a Gregorian calendar that, that we use today, but a Jewish calendar, 483 years is 32 A.D. Listen. If me and you had this much information on the exact year that Jesus would come back, we would cancel church until six months before. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Y'all be like, look, let's just, let's just get in. Let's just, you know, let's just chill and then we'll get in right at the end. 
These people knew exactly when the year was that he was coming. They had all the information, but they were more worried about emotion, religion, and tradition than information. They had it right in front of them. Listen, and if that wasn't enough, okay, okay, 600 B.C., okay, 445 uh, B.C., okay, we see it. But the last prophet they had, the last prophet that any of them ever even knew about, about 400 years before, was a man by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied. Zechariah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. Yes, he is. Zechariah is quoted over and over and over again in the New Testament, mostly in the book of Revelation. But let me read one scripture for you. If you didn't get it at any other time, Jerusalem, you should have got it here in Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. I mean, if you needed any more detail, I don't understand why. Not only did Zechariah say he was coming, but he even told him the vehicle that he'd show up in. Make and model, hallelujah. Not just a regular donkey, a coat, the foal of a donkey. I mean, he broke that thing down. He didn't say a Toyota Corolla, but he said a blue one with black rims. I mean, he broke that thing down so they wouldn't know exactly, and they still missed it. And Jesus is weeping because they are worshiping, but they don't know. I come to tell a church we should not get trapped in worship without knowledge. Worship without knowledge is just emotionalism. Worship without knowledge is just excitism. Worship without knowledge is just us coming together and just having church in order just to say we had church. But we should know our Redeemer liveth. We have the information. We have the word, and the word says he's the alpha and the omega. Let me ask you, why are you fearful today? Because the word tells you 365 times to fear not. Why are you worried about tomorrow? Why are you worried about tomorrow? Because he said I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the author and the finisher of your faith. He that began a good work in you is faithful to perform it. So why are you worried? Why do you fear? You have the information. I'm almost finished. Whew. Hallelujah. Here's what they wanted. They wanted to shout about saving. Save us now. Save us now. Prosperity. Hope. Joy. They wanted to shout. They wanted to sing. They wanted to show. They wanted it all. They wanted to live in Sunday morning. They wanted to live in the worship service. They just wanted to live in the worship. And Jesus was weeping because he knew that the worship was about over. And when the worship is over, you better know the word. My God, I wish I could preach this thing like I really feel it. When the, when the music stops, do you know your Bible? 
Oh, hallelujah. When the preacher ain't preaching and the choir ain't singing and the church doors are closed and you sitting at home all alone and the devil's whispering in your ear, do you know your word? Jesus is weeping because he knows the worship service is over and now they're coming to crucify him and everybody that shouted his name will turn their back on him folding to political pressure of the time and the culture because he knows the worship service only lasts for a moment but the word, the word, heaven and earth shall pass away but not one spot, not one period, not one point, not one dot of my word will ever pass away. The word will get you through where the worship cannot my God I wish I had some help the word will get you through where the soul can't get you the word will get you through where the shout can't get you the word will get you through when the shout's over and the song's done and we're going home the word will bring you through some junk the word will bring you through some mess If you think you can worship your way through, I'm sorry for you. You got a word your way through. Hey, here's what David said. Oh, Lord, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. It wasn't your shout. It wasn't your song. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the worship. It was the word that kept me. The word kept me. I had to know the word. Hey, I love worship. I'm a worship leader. I'm on the front line of worship. But when the worship's over, where is the word? Woo. I don't want God to weep over me because I was an ignorant worshiper. I want him to rejoice over me because the true worshiper worships him in spirit and in truth knowledge I'm almost done when Satan came he came to a weak man no food no water supernatural fast he came to a weak man in Jesus a struggling man his bones were brittle his flesh was weak his muscles were atrophied he had entered into autophagy about 30 about 38 to 72 hours into his fast, which means your body is eating itself. Your cells are turning on each other. And every cell in your body that is weak, the other cells will eat it. It's a good way to do a cleanse, about 72 hours worth. Any longer than that, you need medical attention or you need at least somebody watching over you. Jesus has gone 40 days. The body is eating the body. He's emaciated. He is skinny as a rail. You could have came and played all the music you wanted to play for him, and he couldn't have shouted, Brother George. You could have said, come on, Jesus, let's run the aisles, and he'd have said, I can't even move. My body is done. 40 days, no food, no water. About four days without water or any kind of liquids, the liver begins to shut down. Pumping potassium into your bloodstream, into your muscles, you will die. But he has been on a supernatural fast. His body is weak, but his spirit is strong. He can't shout. He can't wave no palm branches. 
He is weak beyond our imaginations. We can't even imagine how weak he is. He had no bone broth, no black coffee, no tea. That's how we fast, glory to God. He had nothing. What no Daniel's fast, this was a Jesus fast. You ain't ever heard nobody saying, we starting the year with a Jesus fast. No, you're not because you'll die. It's a supernatural spiritual fast. He is weak. Worship is nowhere close to him because worship takes physicality. Satan comes. Satan comes in his weakest moment and he says, listen, I know you're hungry. Make these stones into bread. Eat, fill your belly. And where worship was gone and where worship was void, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He said, okay, well, let me take you up here. Take you to the top of the temple. Throw yourself down. Prove to the religious people that you are who you say you are. Let them see you be raised up. Come on, let me work on your ego here a little bit. And Jesus says, it is written. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't worship if you paid me to. I couldn't shout. I don't care if Gideon was on the piano and Cody was on the drums and we had that click track going about 156 and Pastor was singing, uh, uh, all my life you have been faithful. I couldn't do anything. I could just sit here and look at them, but I couldn't lift a finger to worship. But it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, here, let me take you up to a high place and show you the kingdoms of the world. This is why you came in the first place. I'll give you everything you came for. No bloodshed, no cross, no thorns, no, no nails, no whip, no brokenness. You can have it all. I'll give it to you free. Just bow down and... Because if you're not careful, if you get so deep into worship without word, you'll wind up worshiping what you shouldn't be worshiping. <laughs> Satan wants worship too. That's why some of y'all getting in your cars and listening to all that mess because you worship at church, but you don't got no word in you. If you had word in you, you say, that ain't right. I can't be, oh, come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. If all you are about is worship, if you show me a church that's only interested in worship, I'll show you a carnal place where there's carnal people. But Satan said, Satan said, just worship me. Just give me the worship. Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. It was the word that got him out. <laughs> and the Bible says, Satan left him. And when Satan left him, the angels came to him. And they began to minister. The reason Satan ain't left some of y'all is because you keep giving in. You keep giving in, and here's why. Because you're too weak to word, and you're too weak to worship. Some of y'all coming into church on Sunday mornings, and the music's good, and you love it, but you're too weak to worship. 
You've gone through so much hell. You've faced so many demons. You've messed up so much. Your sin keeps you planted in that seat and you can't worship because you are so weak. But can I tell you, I came with good news. You don't need to worship today. You need to hear the word of God. Let the word release you. Can I tell you where a worship cannot release you a word will release you and I speak a word from the Lord into your life today I speak the word of God be free in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world I was young but now I'm older and I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen his seed begging bread he I know the thoughts that I have towards you they are thoughts of goodness they are thoughts of peace to bring you to an expected end he is a good shepherd he is a good God he's on your side he fights for you I wish I could bring you into worship, but I'd rather bring you into the word. Because I'll, I'll show you the greatest worshipers in the world. The greatest worshipers in the world are not the ones that worship when the music's their flavor. They're not the ones that worship when the song's the speed they like. They're not the ones that worship when the song's from the era that they got the Holy Ghost in. But the greatest worshipers are the ones who know my Redeemer liveth. The greatest worshipers are the ones that know my God is good. The greatest worshipers don't need no hype. They don't need no poking and no prodding. They just show up with worship on their lips. And you say, well, sister so-and-so, we know what you're going through. I know I'm going through a mess, but my God is still good. My God is on time. I know what you're fighting. Hey, sister, I know you got a sickness and a disease. Yes, I do, and I'm hurting right now. But God is on time, and God is good, and God deserves my worship. Man. Stand with me, stand with me. Hirabosata. What, 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 what? What would make Jesus weep? Sob after the worship. He sobbed because they didn't know who he really was. They didn't know what had really come. He said, you missed your time of visitation. Don't let him weep today because you came this close to him and you went home the same way you came. Do not miss your time of visitation. I don't want my God to weep because he was so close yet so far away. I don't want to be known for my shout I want to be known for my knowledge. I don't want to be known, oh, he's just a worshiper. But I want to be known as a wordsmith. I know the word. There's a parable, and I'm closing. There's a parable in the New Testament, Jesus says. It was a beggar that laid by the road. And he laid close to this rich ruler's house. He would pass him every day. 
His name was Lazarus. He would give him no food, give him no bread. And, and wouldn't you know it, they both died because death comes for the rich and the poor. And they both died. And in their death, that rich ruler is in outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that poor man, Lazarus, he's in the bosom of Abraham. And somehow, some way, and Jesus is telling this story, but it gives us a lot of knowledge. Here's what, here, here's what we know, that when you pass away, when you die, you know what you did, how you did it, and you feel. Because this, this rich ruler, he knew where he was, he knew what he had done, and he felt everything. And he remembered a lot of people thinking, we, you know, we're going to die. We're not going to remember nothing. No, he remembered everything. And he's in the outer darkness, and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And he says, Lazarus, now I know I didn't give you nothing on earth, but would you dip your finger in a cup of water and just let, let it drip on my tongue? You have no idea the pain that I'm suffering. Lazarus says, I would. I wish I could. But there's too much of a gap between me and you, and I can't get to you. And here's what, here's what the rich ruler says. He says this. He says, well, listen, if you can't come to me, would, would you raise from the dead and go tell my brothers, don't live like me. Oh, tell my brothers, whatever they do, don't come to this place. What a miracle that would have been for a dead man to raise from the dead and go tell his brothers. But here's what Lazarus says. He says, why would your brothers believe a dead man raised from the dead when they don't already believe Moses and the law? Here's what he said. They already have the word. What is a miracle going to do? If they won't believe the word, why would they believe a dead man? And Jesus, in telling that parable, says, you already have the word. No miracle that I could do for you today would, could convince you more than Moses and the prophets and the law, meaning the word. He said the word is greater than the miracle. Why would God send a miracle when he already gave you his word? That's why Jesus weeps at Jerusalem. Because all these people have seen the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the raising of the little girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter, the, the healing of, of the impotent woman, the healing of the impotent man, the deliverance of the legion of devils. They've seen it all. They've heard about it. They've watched it in the news. They know what's going on. They know the miracles, but they don't know the word. And they're worshiping because they're saying, save us, because they want to see the miracle. Save us, save us, save us. Prosperity, prosperity. Save us now. But they don't know that the miracles and the worship cannot save you. The word saves you. It is the gospel. It is the power of salvation. Not emotionalism. 
not hype. And I'm as hype as anybody you ever met. But if I could get that word in you, that word will make you hype. That word that Jesus loves you and he died for your sins. But not only did he die for your sins, he rose again on the third day. <laughs> and he is the high priest of Hebrews who stands continually in the presence of God as an advocate. He is your paracletus. He is your redeemer. He is the propitiation of your sin. He loves you beyond your wildest imagination. And we could be as fancy as we want to be today. But here's the word. Repent. And turn to him. Repent of your sins and your deeds and turn to him. Be baptized in the name that is above every name in the name of Jesus for the remission of the sins that you repent about. Not only does he want you to repent of those sins, but he wants to wash them away, take them away, eradicate them, erase them, never to be seen again. Remit them and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and that same spirit that raised Jesus out of that grave is the same spirit that will come upon you when you receive his power. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, I have... We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.